just declaring your goodness and your greatness to us. God, how great you are. God, that you didn't spare your own son, that you came in the flesh and laid down your life on our behalf. When we didn't deserve it or earn it, you did it out of grace and love for us. And for that, we are eternally grateful. God, I pray this morning that you would move in power amongst us. God, that um, you'd be stirring amongst us today. God, that we would walk out of this place declaring to creation how great you are. God, we, we love you and we praise you this morning. I pray that you would lead us through the rest of the service today. God, guide me in my words. And God, I pray that your spirit would be moving in power, Lord, even unlocking hearts today and unlocking minds today. God, bringing breakthrough in areas where there needs to be breakthrough in our lives today. Father, I pray that your sweet presence and spirit would be penetrating each heart in this place today. God, that you'd be blessing each one today as they worship and hear from the scripture today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, worship team. Appreciate it. You can have a seat if you're a guest with us this morning. Thanks for joining us at Mount Helena Community Church. Thank you, Mr. Harrison. So last week, uh, it was uh, Memorial Day weekend, and we st- I talked about the power of sacrifice. And uh, then I started to talk about what that sacrifice afforded us, what it gave us the opportunity for, and freedom, freedom from chains that bind us. And uh, I want to continue talking this week about freedom, and I've uh, I've just been been stirred all week about this. Uh, Just, there's been quite a bit of... um, prophetic input this week. There's a number of our people have sent me texts, they've sent me messages, they've said, hey, I really feel like something's going on here, and, and uh, it lines right up with kind of what God has been stirring in me for a message this week. So I'm actually very expectant today that God is going to do some things in our lives today, particularly for those of us that need some freedom. And so today as I'm talking, I would encourage you to be taking inventory in your own life. Not the, not the life of the person next to you, but in your own life. As we're going through these scriptures and as we're talking about freedom, think about you and your relationship with God and where you're at with that. And whether or not God is poking at some things in your life saying, I want to set you free in this area or that area. I want to create an appetite in you today for freedom through the scripture. I'm hoping that God stirs you and motivates you to reach out to him to see some chains come off today, okay? And I, I just really believe that, that he's been speaking that, and he's at work in that. And uh, I also would encourage you that uh, I'm going to, at the end of the service today, I am going to ask for a response. What that means is, after I'm done speaking, I'm going to say, if, if God is doing something in you and you want some freedom in some area of your life, I'm just going to have you stand where you are, and I'm giving you a warning, okay? Back in the day, they didn't give you a warning, right? <laughs> well, I'm giving you a warning right now. Why? Because I don't want you to be afraid of what everyone else in this room thinks. If God stirs you to be free today, I want you to respond. I'm, I'm asking you to. If God, God pokes at something in you today and is like, I want to set you free today on this, or if you're just like, God, I'm so desperate, I need free in some way today, then respond at the end when we pray, okay? Just, 
just prepare yourself for that and be taking inventory because I think it's really important that we take the opportunities when, when the Spirit of God is moving, and we started talking about this last week, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When God is at work, He's breaking chains off of people. He's setting captives free. Jesus said, this is fulfilled today in your hearing. I have came, I've come to set captives free, to proclaim freedom for people that are in captivity. And so last week we started talking about that captivity, and I want four, I'm going to talk today about four different uh, ways of looking at captivity, four different things maybe somewhat specifically out of the Scripture. And I started to talk last week about bondage. And I want to start with John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. And we, looked at, we started with this Scripture last week as well, and we looked more into the story from here. But John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word... What does that mean? Remain. Not, not just spend all day reading it, but if you're soaking in it, you're absorbing it, you're reflecting it, it's how you operate. It's your operating system. If you remain attached to it, that's where you draw your life, like a vine draws from the roots. You're a branch off of the main vine drawing from the roots, and it's, it's what God has proclaimed. It's what He's taught. It's His character. And when we remain in that, we are truly His disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And as we draw closer to God in His Word and remain in Him, he is, he is pumping out truth into the world and into our lives that we might then be able to identify the lies or the untruths, the non-truths that, are being, that, are, that have taken root in our lives, that we could be broken free into a place of truth about things. What is the truth? Bondage. What is bondage? Bondage is, you know, we talk about the idea of chains and being in handcuffs and being bound. And we're enslaved to something. We're in bondage. The Jews were enslaved to the Egyptians. After they had gone to Egypt for aid in the time of Joseph, they began to live in the land and ultimately they became the slaves of the Egyptians. And, you know, the scripture is full of foreshadowing and uh, metaphorical uh, things to refer to our lives today, and we can see that God is beginning to foreshadow what He's going to do for His people in the story of Exodus when, when the, the Jews are enslaved, and He comes in, a, in miraculous ways and sets them free, and He makes them His people, and He enters into covenant with them, and that whole picture of the Jews coming out of slavery and marching towards their promised land is a picture for you and I today as well. We are in bondage to sin. We're enslaved to things. But Jesus comes as the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, and he breaks, away, breaks us out of that slavery that we might go on to apprehend his promises. First and foremost, the promise of eternal life, that we are not bound to death any longer, but then that when our life here on earth ends, we go to be with the Lord. And actually, that the Scripture teaches us that someday he will make a new heavens and a new earth, and we get to be a part of that that we are resurrected in that. And that's like the big picture promise right there. And there's lots of other promises then that follow because we're free from our bondage to sin. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Last week we talked about addiction. It's one of the first obvious things that come to mind because if you're addicted to something, it feels like slavery. 
you are, a, you are a subservient to that substance or that thing, whatever it is that's got a hold of you, you're a slave to it. When you're addicted to something, it's overcome you. You can't walk away from it. It's very difficult. Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. This is what Jesus taught. Because they were saying when, when, John, when Jesus said, uh, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, they're arguing, we're not, we're not enslaved to anything. What, what could we possibly be freed from? from? And then Jesus goes on to teach about this, and we see it also in Second Peter. Whatever overcomes a person to that, he's enslaved. So addiction is an obvious one, but maybe there are some other things that aren't so obvious in our lives that we are in bondage to. How about money? We become enslaved by money. Jesus said you can't ter- serve two masters. You can't be enslaved to money and God at the same time. You can't be a slave to money. Money is something that overcomes us. It becomes our master. It becomes what drives our decisions and the things that we do. Maybe money is something we struggle with. We become enslaved to ideals, ideals that aren't necessarily biblical or don't come from the heart of God. We become enslaved to them. We begin to have expectations of of others and the world around us based on what our ideals are, and we become enslaved, shackled to this thing that has overcome us and become our master. It drives our decisions rather than God. What drives, that's a good, that's maybe a good way to think about it. What drives our decisions? What drives our reactions? Is it the heart of God? Is it abiding in the word of God that causes us to respond in a right way? Or is it some other expectation that I've come up with, that I've created? We become enslaved to our own ideals. The whole world, the world of expectations is a very dangerous place. Expectation is the father of offense, I think. We have unright, unright, is that a word? It is now. We have not right expectations of other people. And we, we seek to bring them into bondage to our own expectations, trying to make them our slaves to our expectations. And people, we, oftentimes people, that, people can become enslaved to the expectations of others. They get a fear of mankind in them and they become enslaved. Whatever overcomes a person to that is enslaved, he's in bondage. Jesus answered them, this is the continuation of the story in John, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We can be free. We can be set free of sin. We can be set free of our bondage, that practicing of sin. In other words, something that we do regularly on purpose is a part of our lives that's sin. God can break us free of that. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed, completely. I want to mention idolatry here. Idolatry was one of the main things that uh, in the beginning of the story of the Jews and, and in the Scripture, this idea that people, it's in the Ten Commandments, don't, you shall have no other gods before me. You know, no one else gets worshipped before me. This is God's command. And they carved images out of stone and wood, and they bowed down to them, and they worshipped them. What does it mean to worship? You know, it's to bow down before. It's to, you know, when we sing these songs, we're, do you ever sometimes wonder why, we, why do we sing as a part of our worship, as a conversation for another day, but it's a way of bringing ourselves before God and bowing our hearts and bowing our lives before Him. You are the Lord. 
You are the king over my life. I'm glorifying you and I'm worshiping you. But we do that with other things instead. So we don't really have a problem with carving images and bowing down to them today, but idolatry is alive and well in our lives. It's when we make something else a God in our life, when we worship something other than God himself, and when we conduct ourselves according to some other way besides God's ways. That's idolatry, and God really does not like idolatry. He's very clear about that. He actually likens it in the Old Testament to prostitution. God does. It's very serious to him, and he does not like it when we worship other things, when other things take priority, and really for our own good. Sometimes we can get into the mentality about God that he is um, just this sort of, he's a lording figure, he is the Lord, of course, but that he just, he wants it all for himself, and we see God as selfish, but in fact, God's ways are good for us. When we bring ourselves in alignment with him, we're operating in the way that he created us to operate. Thank you, Johnny. We don't want to get bound by idolatry. And so you have to examine and take inventory in your own life and go, God, am I worshiping something more than you? Have I put something over you? Am I guilty of this idolatry, having bowed down to something that's not from you? We get stuck in that. I want to look at Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. For the creation was subjected to futility. All this that has been made, all that God has created, has been subjected to a futility. What is futility? Vanity, emptiness, unreality, purposelessness, ineffectiveness, instability, frailty. Remember vanity? Remember the book in the Bible that mentions all is vanity so over and over again? Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he's looking at the world and, he goes, and he's just going, this is, this is craziness, it's vanity, there's an emptiness, there's a meaninglessness. And creation has been subjected to that by sin. We've stepped into this mode of operation that's not of God. And the creation decays and death has become a part of the picture because of sin. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from bondage. It's bondage to corruption. What is creation bound to? What are you and I bound to? We're chained to corruption, a decay, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What is the whole world is bound to this, but it wants freedom, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. What's now? Now. Now that Christ has come. Now that the sons of God are being revealed. The people of God, those that are putting their faith in Christ and being liberated from our bondage to decay and our bondage to sin, creation itself has longed for this to happen, for Jesus to come and give his life that we might be set free. It's, a, it's really important and fascinating, really, to try and wrap our heads around that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, looking forward to this day, looking forward to you and I being on the earth, bringing freedom to others declaring that message of freedom 
the world around us. Helping Jesus in his mission of bringing freedom to the captives. So when you take inventory in your own life, say, God, is there something that I'm holding in higher regard than you? Is there something that has got me in bondage? Is it addiction? Is it money? Is it an ideal? Is it materialism? Is it the fear of other people? The fear of man, we call that. Am I enslaved to something other than you? I don't want to be. I want freedom today from these things. There's another thing that we can be free of. I'm, I'm calling it heritage. What is a heritage? Heritage is something occupied or something handed down, your inheritance. How many of you have just a, what do they say? We spent, we're spending our kids' inheritance. It's a bumper sticker. But the Bible teaches us that it's a, it's a good thing to leave an inheritance. But it's more than about the money, and it's more than about the real estate. It's about those invisible things that we pass on from generation to generation. Both things we've done on purpose and things we never intended. Seems like no matter how hard we try as parents, your kids are going to end up with some stuff that you didn't want them to end up with because they have to work through life themselves. They have to find faith themselves. They have to wrestle with the issues that God takes them through for purposes and reasons, and we'd like them to be totally free to never have to deal with anything ever again, but that's not how it really works. So we pass on possessions from one generation to another, but we pass on abstract things as well. I have my mom's smile. I got my hair cut yesterday, and Leanne said, I think you might have your mom's hair. Like, I don't have long blonde hair. What are you talking about? Oh, I got, I got my dad's weak knees. Whatever. We have these things that, that we can't see, though, like personality. attitudes, mindsets. We, we, we inherit them by living in them, but it also is amazing how a child, even if a child that's adopted and has never known their real parents, they will still, having not been raised in that environment, they will still demonstrate almost exact, it's just amazing to me how that comes out in the generations. But the scripture is also clear that there are spiritual things that pass from generation to generation. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9, we're talk, Jesus, uh, God is talking about idolatry here. And he says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. He's talking about idols, false gods. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Hate is a strong word. Um, you could argue that, well, my, the generations that came before me didn't hate God, so, you know, there's nothing coming my direction. But this word hate is actually the, just the opposite of love. Love is to prefer. We talk about that a lot. Hate is to not prefer, to not give preference to. So those that don't give preference to me, the iniquity passes from generation to generation. And we see that true, don't we? We see it in our own lives. You know, it's uh, I, one generation, uh, you know, this is part of the story of my family. You got one generation with severe alcoholism and, and a lot of dysfunction and abuse. Well, then the next generation really has taken a stand against that and, and not seen that pass so strongly to another generation. But that's not always the case. 
It's amazing sometimes how you will see repeat, repeat after repeat after repeat of brokenness in generation after generation after generation in one family. Why? Because it's more than DNA. DNA is a huge part of it. I think there's something else to consider. We like to compartmentalize. We're flesh in this box over here, and we're soul in this box over here, and we're spirit in this box over here, and these things don't touch each other. They're totally diametrically, they're, di they're different. But in fact, you are one. Your spirit, your soul, your flesh are one. So when something is happening in the spirit, it also has an effect on the flesh. And when something is happening in your soul, they're, you know, they're, they, they're intertwined. You're, you're kind of three in one. Sound familiar? Ah, because you're made in the image of someone who is three in one. Anyway, that's my, that's my point of view about it. And they're, they're, all, you're, they're all you. They're all you. And so when something is happening in the spirit, we sense it even in our emotions and even in our flesh sometimes. They're all, they're all connected. And so the point of that being that when something comes down from generation to generation, it's in the whole of who we are. And so sometimes we need free from that heritage. I can look back in my own long, distant family tree and go, there's some things I don't want in my family. There are things I don't want to struggle with or I don't want my children to struggle with. Things that want to get a foothold. You know that word? Peter said, Peter taught us, don't give the devil a foothold, a place to put his foot. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. There's a heritage that comes to us from the generations before, and God wants to give us a new name, a new family. You're adopted. You were taken out of, a, out of a, a sinful world family and brought into the family of God when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. There's a massive transition there. So you're, you, you're, you're, you gain eternal life, uh, you're transformed in your soul, but you're also brought into a family. It is just like getting a new name. In the story of uh, Abraham, it was Abram first, wasn't it? And then God changed his name to Abraham. In the story of Jacob, what was Jacob's name after he wrestled with God? Israel. Yeah, God, there's a new name. And Revelation is one of the rewards for the churches. He said, I will give a new name. So there's this concept of shifting of the family tree. Hopefully yours doesn't look like a fence post, right? But get some branches and some life. God wants to bring us freedom, liberty from a heritage that's broken and tainted. The scripture talks specifically about dealing with the sins of the fathers, that which is passed down to us. We need to take a deliberate stand to be free of those things. But he goes on in verse 10, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who keep my commandments. So there's the other end of that spectrum. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, fear of death, fear of sin, that's what he's talking about, fear of not measuring up, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, is a term of endearment. I mean, that even that's un almost uncomfortable for me, that God would really count me that way in his family. 
he would really see me that way. But for many of us, we need freedom from the chains that prevent us from seeing him that way or operating that way or relating to him in that way. We need freedom. And in that freedom, we're free to run to our Father. Hebrews says we can approach the, the, the throne with confidence. We can run there without reservation, without hesitation, without fear. Why? Because I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm adopted. Because of Jesus Christ, I am free from that bondage to fear and slavery and decay and all the things. So freedom in our heritage. Here's another area where I'm sure many could use freedom. It's in the area of guilt. In our conscience. This just continues to come up when I'm talking. I don't, I guess maybe God wants to hit on it today. But there's something about our conscience given by God that is there as an alarm, a warning, or pointing us towards something. See, guilt isn't in and of itself wrong. I mean, like when you stand before the judge and you're either innocent or you're guilty, right? You get, that's how it ends up. And guilty being that I, 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 I did wrong and I deserve the punishment, right? Innocent being I didn't do anything wrong, I don't deserve punishment. So guilt can be one of those things where if you do something wrong, you feel it. And in that sense, it's right that you do because you're not supposed to be doing it. It's God's way of going, that's not okay. And you go, oh, I don't feel good about myself. Yeah, because you need to repent and change. Repent, turn and go the other way. Okay, so what, when we repent of sin, it isn't, it isn't, we don't, I mean, we can get on our knees and we can cry out and we can cry and we can pray and those kind of things and that's all part of it, but really what's going on behind the scene? What's the ultimate core of repentance? It's turning and going the other way. So when something's going on in our lives and we feel that our conscience is not clear, something is stuck, I need to turn and go the other way on this issue. I feel guilty about what I said. I feel guilty about what I did. And so my conscience is violated. I need to seek forgiveness. I need to repent. That's a good thing. But guilt also then can become a complex for us where we have been forgiven, where we have sought forgiveness, but we can't ever let it go. We can't forgive ourselves. We still hold ourselves to account, even if everybody else and God himself has forgiven us. And that's idolatry. You've made yourself God when you do that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins, Ecclesiastes 7.20. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one alive is righteous before you. This is fundamental in the beginning of the gospel, is recognizing that we are sinful, that we cannot be justified before God on our own. It's not going to happen. David said it himself, I don't want to come into judgment. Nobody alive is righteous before God. Nobody. Not one of us. So we have to come to grips with, we are sinful. We aren't righteous. And so for that, we ought to have a sense of, that's not good. That's because it's not. And our conscience goes, maybe I should do something about that. Well, you can. There's redemption. When we, when we give our lives to Christ, He brings forgiveness. 
He wipes it off your record. Did you ever get, when you, when you were younger, maybe more recently, a speeding ticket that uh, they'll take it off your record if you don't have anything else after a few months? What's that called? Deferment or what is it? A deferral? All right. It's, okay, if you don't get any more speeding tickets for six months, it goes off your record. And when it goes off your record, how do you feel? I'm free. That's not held against me any longer. It's gone. It's wiped off my record. Would you go to the next slide, please? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the day of judgment, in the day that He totally takes over, in all ways, we will be guiltless, not because of what we have been able to do, but because of what He has done for us. He wants you to be free of your guilt and your guilty conscience and are justified, we are justified by His grace as a gift, not something we ever earned through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How did we get this gift, this freedom, this justification that we could not earn or deserve? How do I become free of my guilt? It's a gift. It's a gift. Maybe you have something on your record that would never come off with the justice system. It will be there forever. And wouldn't it be cool if you just got a little gift card in the mail to go ahead and turn that in and have it removed from your record? That would be nice, wouldn't it? If you have one of those, that's what Jesus does for you. He has set you free, free from your guilt, free from your guilty conscience, opportunity for it. Now, there is a reason for guilt. If we've done something wrong, we need to repent. If you have done something wrong or been doing something wrong and have not really repented, you need to repent. You need to turn and go the other way and ask God for forgiveness, and He wipes it off your record. And so if, if you've got, oh, got a guilty conscience, well, maybe you need to do something about it. But once you've done that, don't live with the guilt. He, he casts your, sea in, or your, sea, uh, your sin in the sea of forgetfulness, right? As far as the east is from the west, which is quite a ways, He got rid of it. You got rid of it. You don't have to have that guilt anymore. Let it go. Be free. Do you know what Satan means? You know what part of that meaning is? He's the accuser or the accuser of the brethren. He's, he's the opposition to God and God's people. So when God is proclaiming freedom to his children, what is his enemy proclaiming? Captivity. You're not free. You're not really free. You're not really loved. You should feel guilty. You should feel bad. You're not really forgiven. And that accusational voice, and we're so prone to that, and we take that on so easily. But God wants you to be free of that. Once it's forgiven, it's forgiven. Do not entertain the accuser after that. You are free. You are, I love this word, innocent. It's a beautiful word. We use it when we're looking at a baby, just an innocent little baby. I could never see myself that way in God's eyes, could I? Yeah, you can. You could be held innocent. Not because you really were, but because he bought that for you. He made that way for you. There is therefore now, now, now that Jesus has come, now that you're a believer, now that we're in this covenant with God himself, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. Frequent, you know, as a leader of a church and in conversation with people on a regular basis, frequently, particularly with younger people, 
There's a, there's the, even though they're believers, they're unsure of their salvation, and there's always this fear of, like, if, if I die right now, I'm going to hell. Like, this fear of condemnation. And I, if you've given your life to Christ and you've made him Lord, that verse is for you. There isn't any. There is no condemnation for you. None. It's gone. Freedom. You're free of that condemnation, free of that guilt. The accuser has nothing on you. You can't even accuse yourself. God has set you free. Who the Son has set free is free indeed. Yes, absolutely, totally. If Jesus has set you free, you are free from condemnation. Now, we stumble sometimes along the ways, and we make mistakes, and our conscience gets violated, and we run to the throne room. That's what we do. We run to the throne room. Apprehend the grace we're in need of today, because every day we need it, don't we? Every day we stumble in many ways, but we run to God for forgiveness, and we run to Him for freedom. We want to maintain that innocence before Him. We want to maintain the clear conscience. We want to walk as free people in the Spirit. Paul often talked about conscience, a couple scriptures. In hope, I strive always to maintain a clear conscience before God and man. I did a word search on what Paul talked about with conscience, and there's just, and there must be 20 of them or so where Paul's talking about having a clear conscience. It, it was actually something that he leaned on for his own justification, not justification for salvation, but like for his arguments and things like that. He said, I've presented this to you and my conscience is clear. What does that mean? He's like, nothing in me says this is wrong. He, he leaned on that even. It's an interesting thing to study. But he's always striving to maintain a clear conscience. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authority, not only to avoid punishment, but also as a matter of conscience, right? And in Romans 8, when he's talking about not causing your brother to stumble, he's, he's saying, not because of your conscience, you're free to eat whatever you want in the marketplace. But if somebody else is struggling, don't, don't, don't put them in a situation where their conscience is going to be violated. And don't sit too close to the stage or JR is going to spit on you. Now be careful. That's a very important concept within the Scripture. Okay, lastly, and I think most importantly, what I want to talk about today, and uh, maybe this will take on some different uh, content in the days ahead, but I want to talk about freedom from spiritual oppression. Freedom from spiritual oppression. And all these things are intertwined in some way. You know, they're not, not, um, they're not entirely separate of one another. And so you could argue that bondage and heritage and guilt, the things I've talked about, are tied in with spiritual oppression. I want to start with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in who? The Lord. Whose might? His. Not yours. His. He's the one that's strong. He's the one we can lean on. He's the rock. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay. Uh, something that is, I think, concerned me in probably the last 10 years, maybe 20, <clears throat> is that um, people have stopped believing that we have an enemy. 
that somehow it's metaphorical for some human nature thing and there really is no devil and there really are no demons. There really is no hell. There is no punishment for, for Satan and his angels and all that stuff. And because we believe that the Bible is true and the word of God, that's something that we obviously do not adopt. We believe that there's an adversary. There's a force of evil in the world. Someone who has rebelled against God just like we did. And when we, when we do not ally ourselves with God, we're allied with Satan's rebellion. And <clears throat> the scripture is clear that we need to take a stand against what? Schemes, plans, plotting, things that are going on of the accuser of the brethren, of the adversary. Uh, and so I think it's important that in our nice um, American high-tech uh, what's the word I'm looking for, logical, everything's logic, you know, scientific, all that kind of stuff. In all of that, we need to remember that there is a supernatural realm that is a component of who you are and a component of what's going on in the world around us. The scripture obviously teaches a ton on this, but as believers, we need to be reminded of it and talk about it that we may be able to take our stand against the schemes of the devil. So we give our lives to Christ. He's washing us clean. He's freeing us. But we have to stand. Okay? Because something, there, there is a wrestling going on. There's a competition almost. There, there's something trying to kill you. The Bible says that the, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Is that the order? Steal, kill, and destroy. You have, you have an opposer. A force of evil coming against you. And you have to take your stand against it. Not in your own strength. Not in your own might. You can't do that. You're going to get mowed right over. It has to do with the strength of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemies are not people. God loves people, and we are constantly watching for those he has called and looking for the opportunity to help introduce them to Christ, any and all of them, right? We don't get to judge who God has chosen. We're out there hunting for them, hopefully, right? We want people to come to faith in Christ. They aren't our enemy, none of them. We pray for those who persecute us, those kinds of things. Okay. Anyway, our enemy, it, but it might manifest in other people's lives, but the real enemy is a ruler or authority, cosmic power in this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, okay, because this is the case, therefore, because we, we have a spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places opposing us, we have to take our stand Re, our, on the rock, on God, hanging on to him, relying on his strength, because that seeks to enslave us, enslave us again in sin, enslave us in wrong thinking, enslave us in fear of others and of evil and those kinds of things. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God <coughs> that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Why? That you may withstand. Now, we could do a study on the armor of God, and maybe we should in the next few days, but I just want to make this point. You do have evil that you need free of. See, there, there's an oppressor. There's an oppressor over our lives. There's an oppressor seeking to manipulate our weaknesses. So, you know, we're, we're a whole 
one unit. And so if, even if we have physical pain, physical pain, you know, if my knee hurts all the time, I start getting grumpy. And when I get grumpy, I kind of get weak, don't I, in my soul way. And I might lash out and become angry. You know, there, there's all these things where our enemy is looking for an opportunity to bring us into bondage. And, and like Peter said, don't give him a foothold. See, this is where spiritual oppression finds a way in, is it finds a foothold in our lives. We've given it access somewhere. When we continue to walk in sin, when we continue to rebel against God in some way, when we're adopting wrong thinking or worshiping something other than him, we've given him a place to lay hold of us in our lives and begin to wreak havoc with us. Those of you that are well, I, I, maybe not necessarily older, but for the most part, if you, if you have many years of life, you know that something that was really little 20 years ago can become something very, very big in time. One little, one little foothold at a time. But pretty soon it's fully got a hold of you. Don't give the devil a foothold. What did Jesus come to proclaim freedom for? Captives. People bound. People oppressed by spiritual forces of evil whether they've come from the generations or they happen to be in the place where they live. But we are called to take up the armor of God and resist those things. If we pretend they're not there, then we're not resisting. If we don't think they exist, they have room. We need to remind ourselves, you wrestle against principalities and powers, rulers and cosmic powers in, in the heavenly places. We need to be reminded of this. For though we walk in the flesh, right, we're all walking around here in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Think about that for a second. What does it say? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. Now, I know most of you are suddenly thinking of your neighbor that always wants to argue with you because they're so opinionated. And we think, that's he's the enemy. i got to go. No, we're talking about things that have set themselves up against God. So even, even, when, even when you're talking to somebody and they say something like, there is no God. God doesn't love me. That person is not your enemy. It's the spiritual force behind it that is your enemy. That's what you deal with. So you don't slap them. You pray for them. You pray that they would be free. You pray that whatever is influencing their life would be weakened. You pray that those footholds would be removed so that this person can come into freedom from their captivity. Lofty opinion. We got lots of those. But are they raised against the knowledge of God? Then they're not of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Again, this is where our, <clears throat> we don't understand it entirely, but somehow spiritual forces have influence in our thinking. In our, there, there's a pressure there. I always think of it like, I, I often don't think of demonic forces as like little guys with pitchforks mar marching around, you know, looking for someone to poke. But actually like clouds, mists, they don't have bodies, but they move around, and it, and it just comes around, and it just sets in a mood. It works on a mentality. 
it just kind of sets in in an oppression on us. So if we're prone to depression, our enemy comes along and works that angle, right? There's both. I just felt the tension go up in the room, okay? There's both. We are physically and, and mentally weak, and we take steps to be free of that weakness. If I need to exercise, I should exercise, okay? But I'm also going to pray. I'm, I'm a whole being. I'm both and, meaning that if I am prone to depression or I'm prone to anxiety, I always use those two because I am. <laughs> those are always my examples. Then what does the enemy do? He comes in and he like, tries to put pressure on me in those areas to get a foothold, to make me weak, to make me give up, to make me stumble. There's a spiritual thing that we need free of sometimes. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you don't know why, but that oppressive thing that is there, well, that's a spiritual. It's spiritual. Can't pretend like these things aren't there. Okay, I need to wrap up here. <clears throat> if we want freedom, we need to embrace the transformative power of God. If we want freedom, we have to embrace transformation. We have to continue to leave behind the old and continue to embrace the new. And we do it all the days of our lives as God is transforming us internally. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that we're just changing where our will resides, that God is transforming our hearts and our minds, <clears throat> that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. The will of God often needs discerned, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You are a new creation if you're in Christ. If you've given your life to Christ, you're free, brand new, innocent, no accusation. Every day, new mercy for you. You are a new creation if you are in Christ. And if you've been entertaining that thought, I am not brand new, I'm not innocent. God doesn't love me. I'm, I'm here to tell you, silence that voice and embrace the freedom and the transformation that is in Christ. <clears throat> All right. If I just want to take a few moments to pray, and I would encourage you, do not fear what anyone else in this room thinks of you. But if God, let's bow our heads and let's pray. If God has been stirring in you this morning to be free of something, something big, something little, something visible, something invisible, something handed down to you for the ages, through the ages, through the generations, something spiritually oppressing you, or if you're just desperate and in your heart you're like, God, I want freedom. I want freedom in this way. I want freedom in that way. I would ask you to please stand right where you're at. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd be tugging on hearts right now, that you would be encouraging people to stand and receive the gift that you have for them today, the gift of freedom. God, I pray against the fear of man in Jesus' name. I pray against the embarrassment and the self-focus. I just pray, Lord, that you would be stirring us to embrace freedom today. God, you are the one who sets us free. You know, the Bible says that uh, faith is the evidence of things unseen, the substance of things 
hoped for. This morning, Jen prayed that there would even be work associated with faith. And that was exactly my prayer yesterday, that there would be people that would be willing to demonstrate that they want something. And today, if you stood, that is an act of faith. That's, a, that's taking a step towards God for something. And I want to encourage you, God sees your faith this morning. And so now, God, we bring all of these requests to you and pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be filling each one of these people as you did on the day of Pentecost, which is today. God, that you'd be filling each one of them and breaking chains in Jesus' name. Whatever it is right now that you want freedom from, just be bringing that before God. Pray it silently to yourself in your heart. God, I pray a blessing of freedom on these people today. God, I declare a breaking of chains over people's lives today. Father, I pray that there would be a walking in freedom from this day forward. God, I pray that you would silence the voice of the enemy. God, I pray for, uh, those spiritual forces of wickedness, Lord, particularly oppression. God, the heaviness that comes in and works all these little angles in lives. God, I declare freedom in Jesus' name. God, we know that we have authority because you have authority, not in our own strength and not in our own might. But God, I pray that you would bind that, that spiritual force of evil that is at work in people's lives and even in this church. God, whatever is at work against us, God, I pray you would stop it. God, that you would remove the authority. Everything is little to you, God. You're huge. You can do all things. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to you. And we're ambassadors, sons and daughters royalty of your family who carry that. So Father, I declare freedom over these people today as they lift these things to you. Pray you break those chains and that you bring relief. Father, I pray that your sweet peace and presence would fill each one of them now, Lord, as they have responded to your word. And God, that you would bring about the, the end result and the product that you're developing in their life in this area. God, I pray for great testimonies of freedom today. God, I pray a liberty to be amongst your people from captivity. God, fill each one now. Each one of those things, Lord, I pray you'd stand right there next to them and look at that thing with them right now. God, I pray you'd wrap your loving arms around them and declare freedom in their ears those chains. You are, God, you are good. You are so good. We praise you today. We worship you. We honor you as the king. Because you give freedom to us. And we didn't deserve it or earn it. And we are forever indebted and we'll praise and glorify you. And I pray you bless each family as they go. I pray that people will just keep walking in freedom this week freedom from those things, that, it, that the chains would be falling off all week around here. Come on. We want some freedom, Lord. We want to go on to be the people you've called us to be. We want to go on to be the church you've called us to be in this city. God, you've promised so much. We're so thankful. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys, keep, keep standing. Keep standing for that freedom. Keep seeking God for it. And uh, there'll be people continuing to pray for you this week. That's the conclusion of our service today. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. I'll see you back here next Sunday.